Hi, this is Philippe Petit from Chamonix, France, and you're listening to the Decisive Podcast Series presented by Roberto Ingram. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome. You are listening to the Decisive Podcast Series Special. And you're listening to the Decisive Podcast Series Guest Mix. And you're listening to the Decisive Podcast Special. This is African Sciences from Deep Black Recordings. You're tuned in to the Decisive Podcast. <laughs> well, everyone, it's uh, uh, February the 7th, 2018. Uh, back here with your boy, Roberto Ingram. Back after eight days of pure hell, I would say. <laughs> Fighting a, a cold, recovering from a cold, shall I say. But... Um, now that uh, that's a thing of the past, it's time to keep this shit moving. I'd like to welcome to the Decisive Podcast Series. I guess we've been doing this, I've been doing this series since 2009. And uh, it looks like uh, we finally got Mr. Felipe Petit here. Hello. From France. This cat is an artist that is raw and true to the causes, which and which is uh, I am excited to have him on the show. I discovered him from a friend of mine, a really good buddy um, from uh, Grand Rapids, Michigan, Mr. Miles Sergey. Hello, the, Miles. Mm -hmm, from the Calder City Development Corp. And uh, please welcome to the program. The Decisive Podcast Guest Mix, Mr. Felipe Petit. Hello. Good to be on the show. Uh, how was your day? Yeah, it was good. It was good, man. Yeah, <laughs> just I had a friend here for a few days at home. Drove him back down to Geneva to the airport. And I got stuck in traffic on my way back. Ooh, how long was that? And I'm, and I'm still recovering from Trésor. <laughs> So I can't wait for tonight going to bed and not having to wake up tomorrow. <laughs> How was the Trezor party? It was crazy. We had um, the guy playing before me was Gonzalo Medina, Gonzalo MD. And he's been on my label for six years, but we never met. It's the first time he came to Europe. And um, he played before me and it was one of the best that I've ever seen. I was just completely fabulous. Blown, Blown it away, was, huh? It was amazing. I mean, I was completely like, fuck me. I was like, what am I going to do after him? You know, the bar was so high. I was like, fuck me. This is going to be tough. And <laughs> straight techno evening. Huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there was um, the opener was a guy called Christopher. I forgot his last name. Who I, to be honest, for, for he played from midnight to three. And I only saw the last half hour because I was, um, I needed a rest a little. <laughs> and then Tinfall was playing, which is Sunil Sharp and Defected. They were playing live. So that was pretty full on. And Sunil Sharp uses the microphone once in a while and made me think of uh, sort of suicide on steroids or something. Oh you know, it was God. a bit like <laughs> Alan Vega and Martin Rev going off. 2018 version or something. And then my buddy Gonzalo MD, which was played, and he from 4 to 6.30, and he, he was just amazing, 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 amazing. 
And I was, I was like, ah, this is so incredible. The last time I had the same sensation is when I saw DVS1 two, three years ago at Bergen. Same kind of like, poof, like, fuck me, this is, this is good. And so I had to, to, to do something good. And apparently I did. People liked it when I played. So, oh, that's great. Yeah, I was, uh, I was uh, also uh, playing in uh, Croatia at uh, in uh, Dubrovnik, and but yeah, I played with uh, some residents there. But I haven't been back in uh, Dubrovnik, uh, Lazaretti in like eight, ten years, I think it was. Ten years has been, but uh, it was a fantastic party. I did a good job. It was uh, like 800 people. I don't know how many how many people there. Trezor. Uh, I know because Trezor, you know, with the two room with Globus upstairs and Dan Bell was playing upstairs. I don't know how many people they get in there, but it's a lot. Huh? It's a big space. I mean, the Trezor space itself is not so big. I would say maybe six, seven hundred, maybe eight hundred. But if you had Trezor and Globus and all the people walking around, my guess is that they they are easily north of 1,000 entrants, or I would say 1,500 easy on an evening like that. Oh, perfect, perfect. Yeah, 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 yeah. And um, yeah, Dan Bell was playing upstairs, but at that point I, I stayed downstairs and got my ears destroyed by the... We were playing fast. We played 135 BPM, you know. That was, yeah. that was back in the day. You guys... Yeah, exactly. I slowed it. I'm slowing it down a little bit. I'm a little bit more pounder now rather than a, a speed speedster at the moment. <laughs> yeah, well, same thing for me. Usually I play... Even when I play fast, I play slower than that. Oh, yeah. Gonzalo was just going... But, but in, a, in a funky way, you know, not in a hard, annoying way, in a really uber in a Jeff Mills funky way or whatever and then I had to start playing and I'm like okay I'm gonna play at 134 or whatever you know well let's go you know? <laughs> and I had a, a few records I had I was like well these even if I go plus a they won't get there but that's fine I'll, I'll play some other shit you know <laughs> my friend listen I was checking out your bio and you seem to be a general manager <laughs> press consultant, a booking agent, <laughs> and a DJ and a musician. What is it that you do not do? <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I'm really just focusing on the, on the DJing and producing some tracks that hopefully a few people will like, you know. That's, that's what I've been focusing on the last seven, eight years, basically. Uh, full time, I mean, you know. I've, been, I've, I've had several parallel lives going on <laughs> and uh, you know like many other people I had a I had a job to pay the bills and that worked out well and and so now I can really focus on the music and and uh, and so I've, I've put my DJing and my and my producing on the forefront since 2010 and uh and yeah that's what you should know me for and mm, mm. there's a whole lot of other shit that took place beforehand and that we we'll can talk to about too yeah we'll get to that later where were, you, <laughs> where, where, where were you born and raised so i'm from uh, brussels belgium originally so yeah capital of europe uh 50 years ago in two weeks i'm turning 50 in two weeks <laughs> When, when did you when did you move to France? And well, before moving to France, I first moved to London. London, okay. Uh, in uh, N94, early 95. Mm -hmm. 
for work, in fact, which was not uh, music musical work for uh, you know just uh, a real job, yeah. Yeah, let's let's call it that way. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so nine to five. In '95, I moved to London for what was supposed to be a year, and that lasted 15 years. <laughs> and, because uh, of love, because of work, because of well, music. love was already already there. We oh, okay, together good. with with my with my then girlfriend and no wife from Brussels to London. And no, because of work, I had a, a good job offer in London. I, I was born in Brussels. I thought, okay, let's go and check out what London looks like. It was a one-year job offer, and then after one year, they offered me to stay, and we loved London, so we stayed, and you know, and, and that was in the financial industry, basically. Financial so, in, uh, industry. Yeah, I was okay. a banker. Okay, good, great, great, great. A banker playing techno. That's that's a good one. I like that. And, and you know, I was in, balance I was, the business life with the nightlife. Exactly. And you have yeah, a full life. Plants, in metal plants, <laughs> and I was playing techno, and and then I was a banker as well. <laughs> that means you're full of life from all angles. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. I like that. And you know the. Um, for well, the time in London, you know, of course, I was buying tons of records. I was playing, but mostly at private parties and for friends left and right and center. But I focused on the job, and um, I was always thinking, well, you know, I cannot really go back to my punk and metal roots because to to set up a band you need people. Which you need was, a team, right? Need a team, which I had in Brussels, but not in London. And I thought, well, this technical thing I can do on my own. And so I was—I really spent many, many years thinking of what I wanted to do, but I didn't have time to do it while I was banking, mm -hmm. in terms mm. of producing. I mean, yeah, I understand. And then uh, eight years ago, I stopped the banking world and I decided to focus only on music because I could of the good years in London, and so. So that's how it happened. Basically, I, I we moved to France. We moved in in the mountains in Chamonix, and you know, I said, okay, no, I I bought all these records. I was DJing left and right. I went to all these, you know, we were partying every weekend. So I have a good vision of what I want. Mm -hmm. So how can I come into that world as a producer and, and 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 as a DJ? You know, not just a DJ for my friends or for private parties, but try to be a bit more serious about it and yeah and so you know with all my musical influences etc I I try to put something together and I, and I dabbled and I, in, in the production and I started making some tracks who or what has been your major influence for you as a musician yeah good question I mean I mean you said you said you, you explained that you uh uh, incorporated a lot of musical uh, um, influences, so I was curious as to who or what was a major influence in your you as a musician. For me, the core of it all is energy, and I've always liked energy music. And when I was a kid, it started with uh, rock and metal in the late 70s, early 80s. So that that was that. Any inspirational figures at this time for punk and rock? I was lucky enough in 79 to see ACDC with Bon Scott 
when he was still alive, and you know, 1980 Motorheads with Girls' School opening. So I was really more into hard rock and metal, and went to a lot of concerts, and then started. started I learned the guitar, and I started playing in bands. But then very quickly, via my older brother, who was more into the New York and American hardcore scene, we switched to hardcore. And so the New York hardcore scene, whether it is Agnostic Front and all the Lower East Side scene, or the West Coast scene, like uh, you know Suicidal Tendencies and all these guys. So that's that's been my scene. And, you know, I've I've, uh, I've been to many many gigs. I've I've seen all these guys live in the '80s, and that was my that was my thing. You know, really full on energetic music. No, so I learned I learned the guitar on my own, just you know putting the record on uh, some Iron Maiden and trying to do what uh, Dave Murray was doing and learning like that and putting a Judas Priest on and just just copying the solos you know you put the records 20 times in a row and then you get a part of the solo and you learn like that and wow so that's, that's not easy learned. that's not easy with a guitar is it no 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 it took me a while <laughs> but but that's that's how it happened and and then you could be you know the first bands we did were more punk oriented and you could be a bit messy when you were playing punk and it was more rhythm guitar than than lead guitar with with punk and hardcore. You didn't have more many solos, so so that's that's what we did really uh, in your face, trying to emulate what we were hearing from the from the U.S. Basically, how would you do? How would you describe your current sound as a DJ and as a producer? It's it's really funny. It's really hard. you know. When, when I started showing my tracks around, uh, so my, my techno tracks, I mean, in, in 2010, the biggest comment I had was, you track some way too 90s. <laughs> and I was like, and I was like, well, I'm from the 90s. <laughs> so, and I've been thinking about this music since the 90s. So yeah, I guess, and, but it was funny because people were really telling me that like, that's not what people want, you know. Like, like it was, it, it was not a compliment. On the contrary, it was like mm. it doesn't fit what's been what what people want at the moment. In a sense, they were saying it's that you can't be you. It's like nineties, 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 rave, 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 whatever. So uh, I'm laughing internally about that one. You know, and so I started to go around different labels, and I guess you can define my music as. Stripped down, minimal, mm -hmm. but uh, when we, we were calling Jeff Mills minimal in the 90s because we didn't to call him, so I don't mean minimal like the minimal of the 2000s, but the funky, I like, I like the funky elements, I'm trying to add funky elements in there. You know, as nobody wanted my tracks, basically, then mm. I thought, okay, well, how is this industry working? Mm -hmm. How much does it cost to press a record? Because, of course, I didn't want to do digital. I wanted vinyl because I'm a vinyl guy, and I like I like to have the the object in my hands. Mm -hmm. And then I thought, well, maybe I should do it myself. And that's why I started the label. I started the label just as a necessity because nobody wanted to release my stuff. So I said, okay, I'll do it myself. That's how it started. If you, if you, yeah, if you want something done right, you have to do it yourself, or. 
Well, you know, I, I, I think I think there's you know there's there's a lot of truth to that. <laughs> How did you get started in music? My mother was totally into music, so you know when we were going to the all rock and metal shows, we were going to get autographs afterwards. She was coming to pick us up. She was into the whole scene, so and she had a big record collection. So I got into you know whether it's Crosby, Steel, Nash, The Stones, Bob Dylan, and all all that stuff through my mother. And my father was heavily into jazz. And again, but but when I was young, I hated jazz and I, because maybe I had difficulties with my father, so I thought he's into jazz, so fuck jazz. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, I, did, I didn't understand. And then I understood way later the importance of jazz and then I really got into it. And again, I was lucky enough to see Miles Davis quite a few times live and, you know, um, John Scofield and uh, you know, uh -huh. in all his positions and uh -huh. um, many many others. Gil Evans. So I suppose, I suppose you were blown away after seeing them live, huh? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And especially that, that, at that time in the eighties, when I was lucky enough to see him live, he had um, uh, Scofield and the other guitar player is coming out of my mind now. But he, he had these guitar players who were playing almost like Hendrix. And so you had the Miles Davis, but you had the rock element. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It. it was easy for me to get into it and to, to, to click, basically. Right. And again, it was back to the energy. So I was like, okay, fuck, this, this is something special, you know. So my father brought more the jazz side, my mother the rock side, and then and then I, you know, if you're a kid, you maybe I was more rebel kid, so I wanted mm. the metal and the harder stuff. And then when I grew a bit older in my teen years and I started going out, I was going to parties and I didn't like the music. I didn't like what I was hearing. And that's when I said, well, maybe I should try to share what I like, you know? And I, I was listening to some funk and some acid jazz and stuff. And, and so I said, well, you know, I found some private parties and I said, well, can I bring my records to play? And that's how it started, basically. And I... I and so sure. you started, so that means you started co collecting records what year? Uh, I started in mean, the rock and metal probably in 1980. Yeah, but the club and, music then. And then the club music probably in 88, Okay. 89. But it was, as I said, mostly hip hop and funk, you know, and then, you know, I get to the Run DMCs, the early Beastie Boys, the, all that. So Run DMCs, is what, 87 when they toured with Beastie Boys or something like that. And then uh, by the hip hop was, of course, sampling all the old stuff, all the funk stuff. So exactly. I need to go buy the funk stuff and the James Brown and the this and the that. And I started understanding that connection. And then, and then suddenly this, new, and there was a really good record store in Brussels that was very diversified, where you could buy as well punk as funk as anything. And I was I had a good connection with the guy, and so he could see that I was not interested only in one type of music, but in everything. So he was feeding me with stuff. And then the England England acid jazz scene exploded, you know, with Talking Loud and Mowax. Mowax. Uh, so that means you were about. That means you were, must have been about 25. I was tw I was 20, 21, 21 when that yeah, old yeah. stuff started, and so I started buying all these records um, as well. And then suddenly I had something I think I could. And uh, there, there was what Love and Hate in San Francisco. 
uh, that kind of labels, you know, ubiquity. Uh, well, ubiquity is still uh, running hard at the moment. Yeah, they're still they're still alive. And so so that was more in my line, like my same funk soul, acid jazz, rare groove, acid jazz stuff. And then I I was traveling once in a while as a as a tourist to the states, and I went to New York in the. And in New York, I found this record store that was sort of representing eight ball records. Okay. <laughs> and and that's the, that's what got me into house basically. And uh, I, I can't about, remember exactly. I think I have, I think I have about I think I have about seven to ten eight ball records still. Yeah. Well, back there I have the whole eight ball collection. That collection. Oh yeah. First one to the last one, <laughs> or more or less. Crazy. And an eight ball was. Not only house, but also a lot of funky stuff. Funky break stuff. I heard, uh, yeah, exactly. and, and they got it. Also, got into like a UK garage sound for a moment there. Yes, 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 yeah. yes, yes. With Joy Caldwell, yeah. whatever yeah. it was. And and so I was mixing all this shit together, and and that's how my son my son started completely diversified. And then and then you know and then you could see that people wanted steadier beats, so I started to buy records with steadier beats, and that was my eight ball stuff. And 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 from there on, you know, later in the night it was getting steadier, and and I don't know if it was groovier. So that, so does this mean you spent all your money on all this music? So that means you had no love life and you had no life. All you do was buy music, buying records, and and uh, you're addicted to this. To this music yeah yeah no no we i was really music is my i mean was and is my thing okay. and it was it was you know let's say more club or dance music but it was jazz and it was rock and then i had a, a radio show on the belgian radio to promote u.s hardcore bands so i was really in music non-stop and i was going to concert two or three times a week and then I, I started interviewing bands, you know, like uh, from Maiden to Rage Against the Machine to. Wow. Uh, so, how so was basically, that experience? Was, how was that experience of interviewing these uh, these talent? Yeah, because because a lot of these bands, these are, people are famous. Yeah, Huge. but they were not early, in the early days, and before they were famous, um, I was into them when they were. They were not famous, and so basically, I had, there was this guy who had a radio show on the Belgian national radio, who I got in contact with. And I was like, "Well, I know all these bands from the states, and they're touring Europe, but nobody really knows about them. Uh, can I go and interview them, and then cut and paste the interview and play them on the radio?" And he was like, "Yeah." And so that's how it started. So I was, and for me, it was a way to go for free to the gigs because I didn't have money. Ah, <laughs> uh -huh. no, actually, you worked. Actually, you worked for. It. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, you know, for actually, me, it was, you, it was fun. <laughs> actually, you worked. You worked to get those tickets. And I, and I have, you know, and I was lucky enough at the end of the day to interview a lot of people, uh, and I have a big pile of. Tapes with with all of my interviews that, that you know. Okay, so okay. these were your influences. Now, and then what really happened is you know, and then we were, I was in band with with my friends, and then we get to leave to London, and suddenly I no bands anymore on my own, and I was like, okay, what can I do really on my own? And I was like, well, techno. 
because techno, yeah, I can, uh, you know, whether it was DJing or I still wanted to 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 perform. You know, I had my bands for many years and that, that was fun, but we were three or four or whatever. And I wanted to be able to still be in front of an audience. So performing but, uh, was a it was instilled in your blood. You were made for this. You yeah, were made I liked for the it. stage. I like okay. the stress of me of having to walk on a stage with my guitar and and you know having to do the gig and hoping that people liked it or not. And and when we moved to London, I still wanted to have that. And I thought, okay, well, the way to still have it is to DJ. Because that I can I can do on my own and I can prepare on my own. I don't need other people, and so that's why the DJing side of my musical universe started to develop more, basically. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Me buying more records as well from that kind of music because mm -hmm. you know and starting to buy all the underground resistance and the Jeff Mills and the this and the that because. For me, it was as violent as hardcore punk. It was just techno, but it was exactly the same energy. What would you say is the that most valuable techno record that helped you through your transition from the rock to the DJ? Was it Detroit yeah. sound or? For me, the um, and it's funny because I played it uh, on uh, in Trezor this weekend. Positive Education from Slam is definitely yeah, but what definitely. It, it's an important track definitely. Um, and then, and I was already in, into the techno, but really a defining moment was when the um, the Jeff Mills live at the Liquid Room, which I think is '94. So that's oh, a bit wow. later, but for me it's such an important record because it was so uh, you know at the time you couldn't see the videos or this or that. So so either you saw. Jeff Mills live or you heard stories mm -hmm. but then suddenly that CD came out mm -hmm. and we were like what the fuck right. so although I was already into it for a while that was life changing it was like okay this is this is this is some, something this is something special until to this day I can listen to that record uh, uh, to that mix and mm -hmm. it's still one of mm -hmm. the best mix. So I would say the, the Live at the Liquid Room from Jeff Mills, and then a bit later, the Aztec Mix from Rolando. Oh yeah, right, right, right. Aztec, Aztec Mystic, right? Yeah, yeah, okay. which is what, late 90s or mid 90s? Uh, mid, 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 late, mid, yeah. Mid, late. Yeah. Again, for me, a very important record. Very musical, yeah. That was a hit, that was a killer. And then, and then we were in London and we got, you know, we were lucky enough to all these guys were coming to play in London. So Suburban Night, Rolando, uh, Jeff, when oh, well, he stopped playing in London and he was back. And uh, and then Steve Bickner was having the Burundi and the Lost Parties. And we were ah, seeing all these black guys and it was like funk music. It was just funk on steroids, you know? 140 BM, boom, boom, boom. And all the people were like, what the fuck are you listening to? And I'm like, I'm listening to funk. It's just fast, but it's funk. And funky as hell, funky as hell. Oh yeah. That that was that. And as I said, the, the Live at the Liquid Room, the Aztec mix or whatever it's called, are two defining moments in the mixes that that really mm -hmm. define the beginning of you know, you, you had the Aztec mix and that was only UR records and you're like, oh fuck, I'm missing that one. Okay, I need to go buy that one. And, Okay, looking, looking back to the, those inspiring moments of buying techno records, 
today, are there a few labels or a few artists in which you can say, wow, I'm glad I bought this record. It will always stay with me. Um, let me let me check on my okay. the record that I took okay. on uh, okay. uh, Friday in Trezor. Okay, good. Uh, uh, it's hard to say, you know. <laughs> it's okay. One or two. I mean, it's important because I feel that this same inspiration you had during that explosion in the 90s, there's a cycle that must come back around for another explosion of artists that um, represents the now. <laughs> yeah, I would say I would say DDS1. Um, I love playing all his tracks. The recent double 12 that he released last year or something is incredible. It's always stripped down and it always sounds huge. And he helped me a lot also in, in, in the way I think of my production because when you listen to the record, you always have the impression there's not that much kick and everybody wants this huge kick now. But then when you play his record in the club, the kick is huge. Yeah, but it's, it's right. just the way it's produced. So I would say DVS1 and um, Fidel. Ah, oh, okay. Um, and especially the last Fidel that he released, I think it's Osgood 102. I can't stop playing that, that vinyl. There's one track on it, I forgot the name, mm -hmm. it's the B2. Mm -hmm. And and it drives me nuts. And in fact, I had a hard time playing it. I, I did play it on Friday, but it's quite slow. So when I do plus eight, it was, I think, 130, 131. So I had to to slow down the, the record before to mm -hmm. get it in and then to accelerate mm -hmm. mm -hmm. but, but yeah definitely that hasn't left my record back the, the last Fidel and it, it really gives me goosebumps when I when I play them your favorite club to do what you do where would that be um, you know it's, it's definitely Berlin okay and I was lucky enough to play in, in different places in Berlin. And there's three places that I've played and, I, and that I love as much one another for different reasons. Mm -hmm. It's Suicide Circus, okay, yeah. uh -huh. Trezor and Bergheim. And, and I was lucky enough to play the three of them. And it's, it's just a dream come true for different reasons in each space. Uh, but people are so much into music there that it's it's a real pleasure to to do to do what you do and I mean this this Saturday was the best example you know I, I do my thing you know and when I, I of course I prepare a set I, I take my records with me but I, what I mean is I, I prepare the records I'm taking with me but I never know what I'm gonna play and how I'm gonna play it it all depends on the way the people react and and the way the mood I am in. And the, this weekend, the people were so much into it that they were pushing me so hard that that I ended up playing a really intense set from my point of view, and 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 nothing. I mean, that's is just incredible. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and how often do you play in France? Not much. It's I would say often do I play in general, and it's really in cycle. And I think okay. I'm in. A, I'm a bit in the soft belly of the beast, where uh, you know I'm not, uh, I'm I've, I'm below the radar, 
And so, like, I didn't, I had no gigs for four months, the last four months, zero, which didn't happen to me in ages. And no, I, I played this weekend in Trezor and I have uh, uh, two gigs next month, one in Geneva, one in south of France. So it's coming back. It depends. I, I had a record released uh, this month on Involve Records, the label from Regal, uh, which is a fantastic, more acid-oriented label that has a lot of traction at the moment, more with the younger generation. And so I guess having my name on that label is really helping. You know, people are noticing like, okay, yeah, this guy, maybe we should pay attention to, to him. And I was lucky enough, you know, I had records on on figure, I had records on here to Brown, and each time I managed to get a record produced on one of these bigger labels, then it, it, it brings some shows, for sure. Uh, and it gets a bit busy, busier. Uh, but you know, I, I don't have an agency, I don't use Facebook promotion, uh, I want it to be grassroots, you know, it's, maybe it's my old, older side coming out there. And, uh, and uh, you know, I can bitch a lot about the industry or whatnot, but... Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's an open market for electronic music, and it seems that electronic music for me uh, still has much future to go. So everyone's with the ability to stand the test of time should have, have their say uh, or their chance to express themselves. In your studio, what is your weapons of choice? Yeah, um, you know, it's very interesting. Hardware or software? No, I've I've nothing. I've Ableton, and that's it. And uh, and I have a, in fact, I have a keyboard. A digital. I mean, it's a it's a hardware keyboard, but it's a digital. If you see what I'm saying, mm -hmm. uh, which is a Novation Nocturne 49. Um, my hardware is my guitars from my old life, and and I love that. And then when I got into techno, I bought Ableton Suite, I bought this keyboard, and, uh, and I decided, okay, let's limit myself to that and see what I can do with that. And that was eight, nine years ago. And, you know, a lot of people have told me, oh, you cannot get any warmth out of this shit, you know. It's all digital, pre-processed, whatever. And I'm like, okay, let me... I mean, I, you know, and I spent hours and hours and hours trying to figure it out. And no, in fact, I know my, my sound comes just from that. The, the Ableton Suite sounds and my Nocturne 49. And I have a few plugins, but very, very few. And I, and I haven't cracked anything. So I, I, and basically, for me, it's exactly the same as if you think about it, of having a real 909 and maybe a Juno, whatever it's called, one the one keyboard. And like in the early days, everybody was, you had maybe two pieces of hardware and, and making a lot of records with that. I like to confine myself now to my Ableton suite, to my Nocturne 49. And each time I'm thinking, well, maybe I need new songs. Maybe I should buy a piece of hardware. Um, I'm opening my suite again, my Ableton. I'm opening some database of sounds that I haven't used and I'm tweaking them and I go, oh, fuck it, I can do a track with that. And I'm sticking to what I have. And on purpose, no, I'm not buying anything. Just because I think I have more than enough with the little bit that I have. And it defines my current sound and I don't want to 
go left or right into add pieces of equipment. I I don't feel like it. I'm so, super happy so, with uh, my so, computer. So what stands true is not what you, how many pieces of gear you have is what you do with what you got. Exactly. That's exactly right. Yeah. Um, let's get to the label. In, uh, label business. Um, you have two labels. One called uh, Decision Making Theory, and the other one um, Not Not Weed Records. Um, mm. Can you uh, tell me why two labels, and what is the music concept behind the releases and the selection of the artists chosen? Mm -hmm. Well, not, the first one that I started was Not Weed, and so that was, as I said earlier, on to uh, release my own music. Okay. So I did Not Weed one. And, and then people right away started contacting me. Oh, we really like it, but I'm also an artist. Listen to my music, I think it fits. Mm -hmm. And that's how Mike Daryl, who was not me too, he sent me music and I was, and I had discovered him via Miles, Sergey, okay. who had released my, Mike Daryl on uh, Reform. Mm -hmm. And he sent me some tracks. I was like, fuck, this is, you know, I just released one record and, and a guy like that already wants to release on my label. I was all all excited. I'm like, yeah, okay, let's do a record. So that's how Not We 2 arrived. Then I did Not We 3, that was me. And then Gonzalo, who I played with in Trezor this weekend, I saw some of his tracks on SoundCloud and I was like, fuck, this is intense. I contacted the guy and he said, yeah, I'll send you some tracks. And so that's how it started, you know, the, you know, that's, what a label that was supposed to be only for my music i started to add artists because i was hearing this music that i really liked and i was he was excited about the music and said wow. exactly and i was like if i can release it sure let's do that and then because i started releasing other people's music but i was producing a lot of music myself i thought well i have all these tracks that i'm doing and i'm all excited about but I cannot release them all on Nutweed because there's only so much you can release. And I'm like, okay, let's start another record label just to release more of my music. <laughs> so that's the only reason why DMT came to the light of day is because I had so many tracks and I thought, okay, well maybe I can, again, I'll do DMT and DMT will be only me. That was, you know, and I thought, okay, Nutweed I'll use for other artists and DMT will be only me. And so I started releasing stuff on DMT, and then, and then why why did I start releasing Gonzalo on DMT? On DMT was mainly why well, you know things happen. And, right. and I, again, he sent me more music, and I thought it was really good. And he had just released something on Notweed, and I thought, well, this will fit the spirit of DMT. But the Basically, I just have two labels so I can release more music to make it simple. <laughs> okay, okay. And, and no, I keep, I don't, I don't sign anything in advance. And so when, when I have some of my own music released on other labels, then it means I can release some other artists on my own labels. And if at one point I have no music coming out on other labels, then I release my own music on my own labels. So that's how I work now. Okay. Okay. So, and how many releases you would say per year? Well, you know, it's, there's been quite a lot. Not weed. We're getting number 27 coming out this month. Uh, so let's say four a year roughly. And DMT, we're at about three a year, and we might get to four a year as well. And we press between two and three hundred copies. 
and it doesn't sell. <laughs> and I, we, I do a bit of digital, but not much. And, and why, why, why um, produce or release music that don't sell? No, well, I produce and release music that I think should sell. Okay. Because I'm, a, okay. I'm totally convinced of my okay. of what I release and of okay. my own music and my artist's music. And when you, if you hear me play, uh, hear me DJ, if I do just a two-hour set, I'll probably play at least one hour of DMT and not read in each set because I'm totally in love with all the tracks okay. we're releasing. Okay. It's just that. Um, should there be more support? Think, should should there be more support in the industry for independent labels like owners like yourself? Well, I think there should be, but you know, it's it's really interesting because to give you an example, so we're so below below the radar that sometimes it's really frustrating. It's like, you know, I, I release a record and then it, and then it doesn't sell. I'm like, why doesn't it sell? I mean, these tracks are incredible, and then. Three months later, I hear a DJ from Bergen who tells me, that track, man, it's become an anthem in Bergen. And I'm like, okay, cool. We sold 72 copies. He's like, what? And I'm like, well, what can I say? But but I have, peep, I have the impression that today, and maybe I'm wrong, but I, I don't know, people are just being fed some music and if, if you're not being fed some Notri and some DMTs, then, then apart from a few diggers who will really get into it and say, I want that, this is good, we'll stay below the radar because we're not in the news feed, we're not in the social media feed because I'm not paying for it and I'm, and I'm not sucking dick for it. So, and, and you know, and I get very respectable DJs playing my music and once in a while, a track will grow because of that. But else, we just stay below the radar. And it's very frustrating because for me, but also for my artists, I'd like my the people that release on my label to, to have more visibility because they make great music and, and it's really club music that you can play in a set. And, and each time I hear some of our tracks, on a big sound system, whether it's me playing or, or you know, I go to a gig and, and the sound's like, oh yeah, this is not week 15 or whatever. They sound fantastic, but it's just under the radar. Because, and I think, it's easy. I don't know. I mean, I, don't know I see places which book such artists like you should be helping you sell such music when doing so i mean is there it, do you see in the near future a platform for independent record labels to rise above this radar you're talking about or do they just give up and say look i did my releases and you know I've got to move on to something else. Um, I have a baby to feed. I have rent to pay and car notes to, to, you know, I mean, the sacrifice you take for this label is big. It's huge. Yeah, I mean, you know, absolutely. The only reason Nutweed and DMT still exist is because I can afford it. Else, else the labels would be out of commission for since a long time. Uh, but I completely believe in it. And, I, and I'm willing to, basically what I, my equation is, 
I use the gigs to pay for the releases. Does, it, does this mean you have to also maybe change your business strategy on how to get this label, this beautiful music that you speak about, out to the connections? I'm talking about the distributions. I'm talking about the, the record promoters, the journalists. I mean... No, but to, to give you... I, I'm going to give you some very concrete example to show you that it's really not easy. Um, there's, um, there's a new Bergen mix that came out this month. There's a track from Gonzalo MD from Decision Making Theory 11 in it. You'd think people would look at the track list of the Bergen mix, say, okay, this is it. I should go buy this record, whether it's in vinyl or digital. Since the, the Bergen mix came out, I think I had one sale. Um, another example, the the Involve records of mine just came out this month. It's fantastic. It's selling well. I get super good feedback from it. I think a lot of people are playing it. So I thought it would cannibal. I mean, it would raise the sales of my other labels and my other releases on my own label. It doesn't because people don't go and dig. So they buy the info, which is fantastic for me, fantastic for, for that label. But there's very few people who seem to to think, hmm, this guy, maybe I should go check what else he's doing. These people exist, it's, of course, lucky. I mean, you know, else, else we can stop right there. But much less than you would think. I think at the moment, people are fed with a spoon this is what you should listen to and they do listen to that and and then they, they're not curious enough to go see what's behind and how you know I don't want to have a successful label I just want to break even and sell the 200 records that I press that's all that matters that would be already and, a con and consistent right and consistent on sales um yeah, I mean that's a tough that's a tough battle to to uh, to do uh, this plus a normal job. By the way, what do you enjoy uh, in life besides the world of music? Well, at the moment, uh, <laughs> I, I enjoy uh, I enjoy where I live now, which is in the mountains. So I enjoy mostly snowboarding in the winter. I'm a snowboarder. Exactly, and mountain biking in the summer. <laughs> So, so that's what I do when I'm not making music. That's enough to stimulate your nerves. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, what was the creative mindset behind the recording of the music uh, for the Decisive Podcast guest mix today? Um, you know, I just I decided to do some, you know, to dig in my in my old records to and to to show, to get the, the funk roots in there. I don't know what you think when you listen to it, but it, there was, so I, I just went through my old record collection and got all the ones that I remember. Yeah, this one is good, this one is good, this one is good. And, you know, I got a pile of 30 records out and I thought, okay, let's start mixing with that. Uh, let's see how it goes. And again, like I don't really prepare a DJ set, same thing when I do a podcast, I, I thought, okay, I have a good pile of record. Let's see how it flows, and that and that's how I recorded it. But I, but on purpose, I was like, okay, 
there were some particular song more 90s oriented that I wanted in there so I, I wanted some some funky guitar sound some voices um, and so that's how I that's what I had in mind when I put it together basically uh, and in fact most of the, there's very few new tracks it's a lot of old stuff and I think it, I, I was trying to keep it coherent in the sound by not, by not putting too much new stuff in it because it's quite hard to mix the newly produced techno with the older records. Due to your experience from the early 80s, 90s, until now, maybe we have another segment where you do strictly fresh ass what you think is current and dope and modern and just to show these young people that we're not dinosaurs. I am of age and but my vision is always the same move forward and mm -hmm. I think that such labels and so with such integrity already from the 90s should think about how to freshen up the 90s try to move forward with the young generation because the young generation is where we were when we was back back in that day and we were pushing the envelope envelope and it's only fair to give I think it's only fair to give the young people a chance to also keep this music culture alive and keeping it mm -hmm. real and raw and I don't believe I honestly don't believe the past is going to do that. I think the only thing that's going to do that is the evolution and learning from those times and bringing them mm. forward. I had to rethink myself. The last gig I had, I, I, I vowed to myself that I would go current and then back to the old. And that's mm. how I did it. And, um, and I felt good about that because uh, I think it's also a duty we have to do as DJs professional musicians and and elders uh, absolutely but but for example that's why the you know when we talked about the podcast you said do something i don't know if it was the word were different or and that and that i i did something different but when when i play i play very few old records in fact i play only you know i buy records every every other week and um and I only carry one case of records. I really need to select when I go play. I'm like down to 50 records, and I need right. to think, okay. And and so if if I want to take some old records, I'm like, okay, I'm gonna. I'm saying to myself, in my case, there are only gonna be three or four old records to to give this feeling, that to to reminder of, of an old track that I like. But else, I only play stuff from the last five years. I would say. So in fact, I'm completely current in oh, my cool. in cool. in the records I play, but probably in my current selection, the song has probably a '90s feel to it because that's what I like. But it's all new stuff. And then I'm always thinking, and but in the podcast I did, then I thought, okay, there I'm really gonna dig in my old collection because it's fun to to take these records out and to put them together. What I, what I try to do with the Decisive Podcast is I try not to influence the artists, but I do let them know that for me, Decisive is exactly the word Decisive being 
straight about a artistic kind of approach without paying attention to what one may think, one would, may not think. But also, I believe that knowledgeable artists like us should be able to do both past, present, and future. And I think I would love to see the, the elders compete with the young people to show the world how this combination work together, you know, in the uh, to, 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 to better the underground music culture. So every, and I think this is, I think, I really honestly think that we're struggling with this. Um, I personally don't give a shit about if it's current or past, but what I do not want to hear is the same old shit all the time. Yeah, no, And everybody's, everybody's hopping on the 90s, and that means now it's just as bad as the minimal because everybody's playing the all 90s. So, yes. so... I know what you're saying. Yeah, so it's so important, it's so important that we challenge the listeners every time. Mm-hmm. Mm -mm. And it takes me a while to do a podcast. I can't just pull up a bunch of records and say, okay, I'm gonna do it like that. I have to be, I'm very selective about a podcast because, only because I think that, like we, like I was just describing to you now, the only way to do that is to really dig down deep and find out, damn, I bought this, I just bought this record. Or I'm going out, sometimes I go out specifically to buy records only for this, this segment of a podcast. Mm, 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 mm. To challenge myself musically and to see what I come up with. So, yeah, um, I think it all matters. And but I don't feel that I am obligated to tell an artist how he should feel about what he should play. Yeah, and that's why when I wrote to you, I said, "Hey, if you think it, your soul and you 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 uh, creatively achieve are blowing yourself away, then I'm sure we're all blown away." But I I think that the podcast that I did for you really represents the, the songs that made me what I am today, you see what I'm saying. So for me, it's a selection of type of songs that that got me excited and that still get me excited today and that, that make me play the way I play today. <laughs> Makes sense. With that said, Felipe Petit, thank you so much for being a part of the Decisive Podcast series. And I'm sure we will do this again on a fresher, on a fresher approach. <laughs> Um, and um, I wish you much success with the labels and that I will be looking, I'm gonna be looking a lot at what you're doing um, creatively with the label and artistically with the label because I'm, I'm always, I always wanna be challenged musically and I, that's a, it's a big investment you're doing here. So mm -hmm. um, yeah, um, I wish you much support and much um, success in the future. Thanks, Robert. Much appreciated. <laughs> All right, everyone. With that said, let's listen in to Mr. Felipe Petit's uh, Decisive Podcast Guest Mix Special. Talk soon. Peace.
Thank you.